Welcome to The Biggest Win, featuring thought leaders, experts, and top producers of the sales profession. Learn how they've achieved success and what it takes to reach the upper echelon of the sales profession. All right, let's go. Hello, this is Alexander Lauren. I am the host of The Biggest Win Sales Podcast and the founder of Zen Careers. Today is June the 22nd, and we are streaming to you live through the Spreaker studio. Tom Kane currently resides in Waterloo, Ontario, where he heads up a global team of sales professionals that bring solutions to the advanced manufacturing industry using lasers in a form of augmented reality. Throughout his career, he has held various senior positions in sales, manufacturing, and operations with high-growth companies such as Igloo Software, D2L, OpenText, and others. Tom has also owned his own sales and distribution business to satisfy his entrepreneurial spirit. He has crossed over many industries, including enterprise software, aerospace, and medical devices. His years of experience implementing both systems in both SME and large organizations has given him a unique insight in realization of value for customer purchases. Tom also gives his time to coaching and mentoring both startup and new managers through Communitech in Waterloo, Ontario. Tom holds an MBA from the Ivy School of Business at the University of Western Ontario. Tom Kane, how are you? Awesome. Great day. Yes, it certainly is a great day. Thanks for being on the show. No you problem. have you've crossed over many industries as I as was in the bio, medical devices, aerospace, enterprise software. Tell me, what was what's the key to to landing on your feet running when you're doing that? Um, you know, just really having an an open mind. I mean, I I kind of went out and looked for it. I'm I'm the type of person who who likes a new challenge and likes to grow and develop. So, getting into an uncomfortable position is kind of what I'm after, uh, because I I'm truly believe that when you're uncomfortable, uh, you're growing. So, you know, I, I tend to look for those situations. So crossing over industries came naturally and, uh, and just having an open mind and listening to those around you who have, uh, had the experience and try and soak it all in and then add your previous experience from a new point of view. Yeah. And I, you know, and I love what you say, because to get uncomfortable, it's like you have to get out of your comfort zone if you want to to grow and evolve. So you you, you seem to have recognized that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Early on, I was uh, al- always wondering why I was, you know, working so hard and why I was spending all this time and doing things. And then then I, I, I realized partially it was out of out of fear of failure. And then I realized that that was actually a good thing. Uh, you know, that yeah. becoming uncomfortable is driving that fear, which also drives growth and learning and, and all kinds of other things. So you know, once you learn to embrace it, life life comes at you at a very different angle. Tom, when when you're managing and, and leading others, do you often do you, does that ever come up? Uh, you know how uh, failure is actually a good thing. Oh, oh, all the time. Yeah, I'm I'm constantly coaching and, and telling my team to experiment, try new things, uh, 
don't don't be uh, stuck in a rut and uh, you know always suggest you know where we can do something a little bit different and and see if we can get a different result i mean it's a bit cliche now but you know the old term of uh, doing things the the same way and expecting a different result is insanity but it's it really really is true is just you know constantly you know experimenting around the edges and trying new things you know as long as you're not uh, blowing up the building or destroying the business then then you're probably going to do okay tom what is one of the things that you've consistently done that has helped you become an achiever? Well, um, the one thing I always try to remember, and it's served me well, is I try to think like an investor. Um, I, I get out of my role and, and say to myself, if I own this company or I was putting a million dollars of my own money, what would be the right decision to make? How would I want it done? How would I want to have the people in that company act? And I try to think about it from that point of view. And um, I've done that from an early point. And, uh, you know, it served me well because it, it brings you to a higher level. And I think people recognize that and then give you more opportunities to do other things because uh, I think you start to understand uh, you know, some of the larger problems that businesses face and certainly owning my own business certainly, uh, certainly helped with that as well. It you know, keeps you up at night, uh, thinking about all the, all the people with, uh, car loans and mortgages in your parking lot. Yeah. Do you, do you remember when, when you had, when you adopted that mindset was, was, did something occur that, you know, prompted you to, to change your thinking? No, I, you know what? I think it just felt a little natural to me. Um, you know, I, I've always, uh, you know, I worked for some big companies, worked for some small companies, but in the small companies, it felt pretty natural because I think you could see the end to end business a little bit better in small companies and you get a, a real flavor for how things work and you start to think that way, you know, as an, as an owner. In a large company, it becomes a little bit nebulous that you can't really see an owner or you can't you can't feel the process from end to end. So that, that was always a, uh, pretty natural to me. And, and it only occurred to me that it was something interesting when uh, somebody mentioned that to me and said, you know, you 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 tend to think like an investor. And and uh, and they thought that was a good thing. So it was, it was then I kind of picked up on it. Went, well, I guess I guess you're right. Hey, Tom, when when do you think you paid your dues in in your career? Boy, um, I uh, my first uh, my immediate answer is never. Um, you know, it's, it's the mindset that I have. Uh, you know that I'm. It's a lifelong learning approach, and I always try and do new things and learn new things and try and be open to that. But I guess over the last uh, probably five to seven years. I started to realize um, the demographics um, of, of baby boomers. I'm at the tail end of the baby boom generation, the very, very tail end. And, you know, reading enough about the demographics, you know that at some point, probably right around this time when the baby boom is starting to retire, there would be quite a vacuum of of talent. And, you know, I, I've looked at that for years and years and years being behind the baby boom generation. 
Um, and now all of the sudden, you know, people look at the experience that I've gained and said, wow, that's, uh, you know, you're an experienced senior person. And, and, uh, that's always a little bit uncomfortable for me because I always think that I've got so much more to learn yet. So, <laughs> so never. And in the last five years <laughs> altogether, <laughs> I know I feel more senior in the body, but in the mind, I, I, I'm 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 a millennial. But speaking yeah. of the speaking of the You're generations, right. like what are the? Do you see a lot of big differences between? You know, the, how about the upcoming dif- yeah. uh, generation? Do you, do you see um, what, what are things like for them as compared to you? Well, it's a huge, it's a huge difference. And and I'm going to shock a few people right now because I've done presentations on this. Um, you know, uh, I was involved in, in D2L at what was called a bring your parents to work day mm-hmm. and which was the, the opposite take on the normal one. And um, I did it. I was asked to do a presentation. I did a presentation on the millennials. And I said, look, I, I've managed millennials my entire career. And I, I love this generation. I absolutely love this generation. And I, and I, I summarized it all down to saying, look, there's a very basic difference between the baby boom generation and the millennial generation, and it's not what you think. The baby boom generation had a lot of ideas and were idealistic and really disrupted things and, and to try to protest and things like that and change the world. But the millennial generation doesn't do that. They just go out and do it. Mm. Um, and, and the best example that, I, that I've seen recently is anybody who's – who's in Canada knows Rogers and Bell and um, you know, they're known for their horrendous customer service. And if you think about in the last five years, as the millennials have taken over, their service has gotten a whole lot better. You know, I, I recall that, you know, if you wanted some change to your account, you'd spend half the day on the phone with them and you know, you'd be frustrated. Now you can do it by via chat. They can have callbacks and, and, the millennials are driving those things because they just take their business elsewhere. And, and I think companies are, are recognizing that uh, the millennials uh, vote with their, uh, with their wallet and they vote with their feet and they just go make other things happen. And if you're really unlucky, they go start another company and put you out of business. So <laughs> I have a huge amount of respect for the millennials and I think they're, they're a fantastic generation. I really, really like working with them. That's a tremendous, tremendous insight. I, I wanted to make sure I asked you, did you know that you wanted to be um, a sales leader, a coach and mentor? Was that always in the plan when you started your sales career? Oh, absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I started most of my career started in in operations or manufacturing and uh, where where I was, you know, running a manufacturing operation. And um, and, you know, then I'd, I'd gather things like uh, procurement, um, configuration management, manufacturing, engineering, uh, and then it branched out to kind of quality and so on. And I started to get into even services and then kind of made the leap over to what's called services operations or sales operations. Uh, again, just trying something new, trying to learn and develop. And it was there I kind of got this this bug about this is interesting. You know, uh, 
you know, I love this because this is where business thrives. It is, it is the starting point of business without sales. You have nothing, you know, you have a bunch of people waiting for something to do. So, um, I got my real first, um, exposure to that when I was running a manufacturing facility and, and, uh, you know, this is a, a, an old type of story where you'd, every company has that one salesperson that annoys everybody because they always sell stuff that you don't have in, in, in an awful time frame for the wrong price. And, uh, everybody's really annoyed by that. Well, we, we had one of those and I won't mention the company, but I can tell you, uh, there, there was frustration and they eventually removed that salesperson and that was quickly followed by layoffs. And I kind of sat back and said, you know, this is fascinating, you know, and I started to realize that sales drives companies forward and, and that activity, you will miss it when you're gone when that salesperson is gone. So embrace that person because they drive improvements and they drive companies to do things differently. And uh, that's when I first started getting the bug about what, what, what goes on on that side of the fence. And so getting into the sales operations really, really gave me some insight into it. And then I have a, a chance to run my own teams and I, I haven't looked back. How about some of the, the mentors that you've had over your career? Would, would, would you like to pay homage or, or share a little little about them? Sure. The, the first one that comes to mind is a, there's a, a guy at a, a BMC that was my boss at, at OpenText, and uh, his name is John Hunter. And uh, I describe John as a, a force of nature. And he's, uh, uh, you know, I, I've always said, when you think you know enough as to your earlier question about paying your dues, when you think you know enough, there's always somebody who comes along and you look at that person, and you go, I don't know a fraction of what that guy knows. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he was a, a joy to work for and very inspiring, very motivating. And he really had a charisma and a presence about him and uh, he would create activity. So that was that that for me was um somebody who just, uh, you know, made you want to do more. So uh, I, I absolutely can can say without a doubt that he was a, a very good mentor for me. Excellent. Now, Tom, I notice that you are on the advisory board of Sales Choice. So for the listener's benefit, Sales Choice makes the world of sales smarter by helping sales professionals see more and sell more using advanced analytics. It says that they use, they solve these cases up to 95% predictive accuracy using AI and ML methods, improving sales forecasting up to 95% predictive accuracy. That that's, that's amazing. AI is playing a big role in sales forecasting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I've always having an operational background, you know, there's uh, in, in operations, there's evidence, there is metrics, there are transactions. And um, and then, you know, coming into the sales operations world, I, I found that, uh, you know, a number of years ago that uh, there there was the discussion about sales is art versus science. And I was always on the side of I, I feel it's more science than art. 
And, and, and maybe that's a controversial position, but, you know, as the world has unfolded, tools like uh, artificial intelligence and the way deals move through pipeline, which is all basically down to, you know, human behaviors and psychology and emotional buying versus and relationships and things like that. So the softer side where people feel that there's an art to it, you can actually start to predict some of those patterns and, and how people move and buy. And uh, if you have enough data, you can certainly uh, certainly uh, use tools like that to start to make a prediction of where you're going to be by the end of a quarter, by the end of a month, in a year from now, based on the activity that you have in your system. And I think that is um, criti- critical. And I started working with Sales Choice and their CEO, uh, Dr. Cindy Gordon, uh, back in my days at OpenText when they were a startup. And, um, you know, I, I kept giving feedback on developing this tool. And I, I'm really proud to say that the, the tool is is mature now and it's getting to a point where it is a very, very useful insight into anyone's sales pipeline and the activities that go on beneath it and how you can use that to coach your uh, sales team uh, to, to better results. And I, and I don't mean that you're going to take, you know, your A players and move them up by 20%. I think the goal for me has always been if I took the players, the salespeople who are in the middle of the pack who were achieving at maybe an 80% level and I could move them to 100, that has a, a, a huge effect for the company that can that can drive uh, drive your revenue results forward. Uh, by coaching them to uh, use their time more effectively and work on the things that will matter. So uh, I think I think these are great tools. I think there's a lot of them out on the market. I think it's a it's a wave of the future for for sales. And I think you are seeing more and more operational people in the world of uh, sales leadership now, just because it it is becoming a, a very much a numbers game. And how how long has this been around for artificial intelligence in, in sales forecasting? Has this been around for a while? Um, I, you know what? I couldn't tell you. I know I was exposed to it probably about five to six years ago. And I know at that point there wasn't many people out there doing that. And and I know uh, sales choice was was, you know, starting to develop their predictive engine at that point. And uh Really, what was missing, what I was helping them bring to the table was, you know, where do, where is the real value for a sales leader and, and how they would use that tool and what they would do with it. So I think since that time, you're seeing a lot of AI tools in various fields. Um, I haven't seen too much in the way of uh, forecasting or predictive uh, analysis in, in sales uh, but but I'm I'm happy to say that uh, you know I think it's a good company and I think a lot of people out there should really take a look at them if they're if they're struggling with that area. So you had mentioned about uh, mentorship and coaching. Now, how about the maybe the BDR or the account manager, the enterprise account executive? Could they get their hands on AI and and, and review their their sales forecast? Would it would it benefit them? Yeah, I, I think it would. I mean, uh, it, it. I think you're going to have to have a mature attitude about it. It's um, if 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 you're the type of of salesperson 
who looks to tools to help you uh, be successful, then I think it, it can help you. Um, I think if you're the type of uh, uh, sales rep who, who you know, really just believes in in that your your smile and a handshake is going to win the day for you all the time, and you don't see the smile and the handshake as yet another tool, uh, then then I think you're going to rely on that single tool too heavily. Uh, the the old adage of you know when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, so I think you have to have a little bit of a developed mindset and a, and a professionalism about your craft that says all tools are good tools. It's uh, especially if that tool works for me. Yeah. Well, it sounds really exciting. I, you know, I'm I'm back from a sabbatical, and and as I've come back, I just see AI everywhere. And then when I read a little bit about this, it it just seems, I don't know, beautiful. And I, I bet you really nerd out over it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, having an operational background, absolutely. You know, I, I I like numbers. I like the data. I like I like to see patterns and recognition of patterns, and uh, and hopefully see the world in a three dimensional way. Uh, you know, I liken a sales pipeline to a, a ball of lava. It's expanding and contracting in in all directions at all times. So. Um, you know, that's that's often something hard to quantify. But, uh, you know, I think I think uh, the way data works now and the power of computers, it is uh, it, it is certainly doable in this day and age. OK, before I ask you about the, your biggest win, I'd like to put you through a small trivia sales trivia. Are you uh, are you game? I'm always up for trivia. Okay, so let me play the theme song here. All right, I've got 10 questions. I'll give you 60 60 seconds to answer all 10. If you're stuck, just say pass, and I'll move on to the next question. So let's see how many you can answer correctly. The score to beat is seven, which is quite good. So I'm going to put 60 seconds on the clock. The clock will begin after I ask you the first question. Are you ready? I am definitely ready. What was the first thing sold on the internet? A music CD, a domain name, or a book? A book. The sale of what was prohibited during the sale of what was prohibited during prohibition? Alcohol. True or false, you are allowed to sell your soul on eBay. False. What does a milliner make and sell? Hats. What state was sold by Spanish King Ferdinand VII to the Americans? California, Florida, or Louisiana? Louisiana. True or false, cashiers do not have a responsibility to sell? False. What is telephonobia? The fear of telephones. True or false, George Clooney used to sell insurance. True. The film Glengarry Glen Ross depicts two days in the lives of four salesmen. What did they sell? Ooh, um, property. If you have to eat two frogs, which one should you eat first? Uh, the one in your left hand. <laughs> 
the one in your left hand. <laughs> I give you points for that. Wow, well done, Tom. Well done. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Wow. Hey, Excellent. Now, I'm competitive. Uh, I'm disappointed by that result. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Let the, let the audience cheer. There we go. Soak it in, Tom. <laughs> okay. Well, um, thank you. Thank you, audience. Um, all right. So what did you get wrong? Uh, okay. Glengarry Glen Ross Real Estate. Um, yeah. The thing sold on the internet uh, what likely counts as a first legitimate online tra transaction goes to Dan Cohn in August 1994, who created a website called NetMarket. On August 11, Cohn sold a CD of Sting's Ten Summoner's Tales to a friend in Philadelphia. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. A milliner. You, hats. Excellent. You cannot sell your soul on eBay. Uh, Spanish King Ferdinand sold Florida. Ah, shoot. Florida. And I thought, hmm? I thought about that after. It wasn't looking. Oh, well. Well, excellent. You did great. And, and all of them were, were right. Very good. Very good. Very good. Thank you for playing my game. Thank you for indulging me. No problem. All right. So the uh, podcast is called The Biggest Win Sales Podcast. Would you mind sharing something about your biggest win? Sure. Um, it was really last year at this time. It was, it was a little bit odd. Um, it was a multi-million dollar deal um, that uh, occasionally all the salespeople out there will know and recognize this uh, type of deal where um, you had a single point of contact uh, and it was a, a huge deal and you were just not able to get any other contacts and you had to rely on this person. And they were the type of company that went very, very silent for long periods of time. And, um, it was right at the end of our fiscal year and, uh, it, it was going to make or break our year and our parent company was, uh, very interested and it came down to the last three days of the quarter. And um, we had just informed uh, our CEO that it was likely not going to happen because we were, we were uh, trying to uh, push them along for every day. And then uh, I was leaving the building here about 7 p.m. at night and I got in my park uh, in the parking lot in the car and on my cell phone was a PO from that company mm -hmm. for over two million dollars. And I ran back in <laughs> and <laughs> told my boss to call the CEO again and tell him we got it and let's go out and have a big fat steak dinner. <laughs> so it was it was absolutely uh, harrowing, nail biting frustrating and wonderful all at the same time. Yeah, that's great. And I, cause I'm visualizing this whole thing <laughs> when you're in the car, it's seven o'clock, you kind of bumped out and then you get it and it's euphoria. Yeah, exactly. Right. When, I won't forget that in a long time. I bet. Now, you, and when you mentioned when like a company goes silent on you and, mm -hmm. and it's kind of a killer when that happens, like how do you, how do you effectively deal with that? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I wish I had the answer to that. Um, and, and sometimes they go the other way. They go silent and nothing ever happens. Um, you know, I, I've had experience of doing everything from, you know, 
pestering people to having, you know, escalating up the chain to the CEO calling uh, to um, going and sitting in their lobby and uh, and and waiting for people to come by that could uh, that could shed some light on on the situation. So uh, there isn't a prescriptive answer for that. And it is probably the single worst thing that any salesperson faces and any sales manager faces because it is just the most frustrating situation when you're calling out into the dark and the wilderness and nobody answers. <laughs> it's a very lonely place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom, you know, it was really wonderful uh, that you made the time to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, how can how can people connect with you? Would, would you like people to connect with you? Sure, they can. They can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's easy easy to find. You can type in Tom Kane, and uh, you 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 will see me there. Excellent. <laughs> and, and you'll find me. I'm out of Waterloo. So great, great. Okay, well, thanks again, Tom. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Listener, that concludes today's episode of the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. Stay tuned for the bonus portion of the show, the podcast in a podcast, the micro podcast improv. Listener, if you'd like to connect with me, send me an email at alexander at zencareers.ca or call my office at 647-417-0517. Have yourself a wonderful day and goodbye for now. Sophia Lauren, and this is the Micro Podcast Improv. I wrote out a bunch of words, cut them up, and put them in a box. My dad, Alexander, and his guest will do a passion project segment on the word drawn creating a micro podcast improv. Enjoy the show. Bye. All right, Tom. The uh, I drew plants. <laughs> plants we we are gonna we're gonna hook you up with a link to the podcast (laughs) all right so here we go welcome to the plants micro podcast i am one half of your plants micro podcast team alexander and i am joined today with tom kane Tom Kane, Tom I know that you're a great lover of plants. It's one of your passions. I remember there, I can't remember fully, but there wasn't there a story when you were a child with plants that that created this love? Can, can you share it with the listener? Oh, certainly. You know, when I when when I was a toddler, still in diapers, I used to crawl over to plants and and wade around in the dirt and try to climb up them. And I recall my mother had a large Diefenbachia that I would often climb up, and it was six feet tall. Awesome! I love the Diefenbachia. And you know, last time I was in your office, you had about seven or eight or maybe ten Diefenbachias. How do you just love them so much? Yeah, I, I do need to take advantage of our employee assistance program and kind of get that fixed with some psychiatry. But I think you're, you, it could be something deep-seated. You're absolutely correct. Well, that's that's all right. It's just love. It's passion for Diefenbachias and plants. 
Do you have a particular plant that really gets you motivated in the morning before you go to work? Um, yes, it's the uh, Pachysandra or Japanese yew. Mm. Uh, the, and I can tell you why it gets me motivated. I like the look of them because they're a shade plant and they grow like weeds. But I just love the name Pachysandra. Pachysandra. <laughs> I, it just rolls off your tongue quite nicely, but it's almost impossible to spell. So I love <laughs> that. Goodness. Well, I know that Pachysandra is a very sexy plant. Do you often find yourself, you know, talking to this plant? Uh, oddly enough, no. <laughs> Oh. Not the Pachysandras. They tend to be introverted and they don't like conversation. Ah, when did you first capture the behavioral instincts and personalities of plants? Well, maybe it goes back to those days of uh, climbing up them as a toddler. Is uh, I guess if you get close to plants, they accept you as one of their own. And, and it, it must be worn off because there's often times when, when my wife will call me, you know, and say that, you know, I have the intelligence of a plant or a vegetable. So it must be some kind of connection there. I, I love it. I love how the plants accept you as their, as their own. Do you often <laughs> consider, do you often feel yourself just being a plant? Yes. I, as soon as I get home from work, I, I tend to uh, plant myself into my chair and my back deck and, uh, and uh, oddly enough, water myself with scotch. So, wow. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. You are a you are a fantastic plant. This has been such a wonderful micro podcast improv. What do you think we should talk about on micro podcast episode on plants episode number two? Uh, I think the uh, the value of uh, triple mix would be a very good subject. I can't wait for that one. That'll be great. <laughs> it was so wonderful to do this, Tom. Why don't you take the final word? Uh, the final word should really be candling. And uh, candling is about how you how you fill out an evergreen tree and which branches you cut in order to do that. So candling is the final word. 